Chapter Six of the Life Everlasting by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recognition. At these words and at sight of the speaker, Morton Harland started back as if he had been shot. Santoris, he exclaimed, "Not possible, Raphael Santoris! No, you must be his son." The stranger laughed. My good Harland, always the skeptic. Miracles are many, but there is one which is beyond all performance. A man cannot be his own offspring. I am that very Santorus who you saw last in Oxford. Come, come, you ought to know me. He stepped more fully into the light which was shed from the open door of the deck saloon, and was showed himself to be a man of distinguished appearance, apparently about forty years of age. He was well built, with the straight back and broad shoulders of an athlete. His face was finely featured and radiant with the glow of health and strength, and as he smiled and laid one hand on Mr. Harland's shoulder, he looked the very embodiment of active, powerful manhood. Morton Harland stared at him in amazement and something of terror. Raphael Santoris, he repeated. You are his living image, but you cannot be himself. You are too young. A gleam of amusement sparkled in the stranger's eyes. Don't let us talk of age or youth for the moment, he said. Here I am, your eccentric college acquaintance whom you and several other fellows fought shy of years ago. I assure you, I am quite harmless. Will you present me to the ladies? There was a brief embarrassed pause. Then Mr. Harland turned to us where we had withdrawn ourselves a little apart and addressed his daughter. Catherine, he said, this gentleman tells me he knew me at Oxford, and if he is right, I also knew him. I spoke of him only the other night at dinner, you remember, but I did not tell you his name. It is Raphael Santoris, if indeed he is Santoris, though my Santoris should be a much older man. I extremely regret, said our visitor then, advancing and bowing courteously to Catherine and myself, that I do not fulfill the required conditions of age. Will you try to forgive me? He smiled, and we were a little confused, hardly knowing what to say. Involuntarily I raised my eyes to his, and with one glance saw in those clear blue orbs that so steadfastly met mine a world of memories, memories tender, wistful, and pathetic, entangled as in tears and fire. All the inward instincts of my spirit told me that I knew him well, as well as one knows the gold of sunshine or the color of the sky. Yet where had I seen him often, and often before? While my thoughts puzzled over this question, he averted his gaze from mine and went on speaking to Catherine. I understand, he said, that you are interested in the lighting of my yacht. It is most beautiful and wonderful, answered Catherine, in her coldest tone of conventional politeness, and so unusual. His eyebrows went up with a slightly quizzical air. Yes, I suppose it is unusual, he said, 
I am always forgetting that what is not quite common seems strange. But really the arrangement is very simple. The yacht is called the Dream, and she is, as her name implies, a dream fulfilled. Her sails are her only motive power. They are charged with electricity, and that is why they shine at night in a way that must seem to outsiders like a special illumination. If you will honor me with a visit tomorrow, I will show you how it is managed. Here, Captain Derrick, who had been standing close by, was unable to resist the impulse of his curiosity. "'Excuse me, sir,' he said suddenly, "'but may I ask how it is you sail without wind?' "'Certainly, you may ask and be answered,' Santorus replied. "'As I have just said, our sails are our only motive power, "'but we do not need the wind to fill them. "'By a very simple scientific method, or rather, let me say, by a scientific application of natural means, we generate a form of electric force from the air and water as we move. This force fills the sails and propels the vessel with amazing swiftness wherever she is steered. Neither calm nor storm affects her progress. When there is a good gale blowing our way, we naturally lessen the draft on our own supplies. But we can make excellent speed even in the teeth of a contrary wind. We escape all the inconveniences of steam and smoke and dirt and noise. And I dare say, in about a couple of hundred years or so, my method of sailing the seas will be applied to all ships, large and small, with much wonder that it was not thought of long ago. Why not apply it yourself? asked Dr. Braille, now joining in the conversation for the first time and putting the question with an air of incredulous amusement. With such a marvelous discovery, if it is yours, you should make your fortune. Santoris glanced him over with polite tolerance. It is possible I do not need to make it, he answered. Then, turning again to Captain Derrick, he said kindly, I hope the matter seems clearer to you. We sail without wind, it is true, but not without the power that creates wind. The captain shook his head perplexedly. Well, sir, I can't quite take it in, he confessed. I'd like to know more. So you shall, Harland. Will you all come over to the yacht tomorrow? There may be some excursion we could do together, and you might remain and dine with me afterwards. Mr. Harland's face was a study. Doubt and fear struggled for the mastery in his expression, and he did not at once answer. Then he seemed to conquer his hesitation and to recover himself. "'Give me a moment with you alone,' he said, with a gesture of invitation towards the deck saloon. Our visitor readily complied with this suggestion, and the two men entered the saloon together and closed the door. Silence followed. Catherine looked at me in questioning bewilderment. Then she called to Mr. Swinton, who had been standing about as though awaiting orders in his usual tiresome and servile way. "'What sort of an interview did you have with that gentleman when you got on board his yacht?' she asked. "'Very pleasant, very pleasant indeed,' he replied. "'The vessel is magnificently appointed. I have never seen such luxury, extraordinary, more than princely. Mr. Santoris himself I found particularly agreeable.' When he had read Mr. Harland's note, 
he said he was glad to find it was from an old college companion and that he would come over with me to renew the acquaintance as he has done you were not afraid of him then queried dr brayle sarcastically oh dear no he seems quite well bred and i should say he must be very wealthy a most powerful recommendation murmured brayle the best in the world what do you think of him he asked turning suddenly to me i have no opinion i answered quietly how could i say otherwise how could i tell such a man as he was of one who had entered my life as insistently as a flash of light illumining all that had hitherto been dark at that moment catherine caught my hand listen she whispered a window of the deck saloon was open and we stood near it dr brayle and mr swinton had moved away to light fresh cigars and we two women were for the moment alone we heard mr harland's voice raised to a sort of smothered cry my god you are santoris of course i am and the deep answering tones were full of music the music of a grave and infinitely tender compassion why did you doubt it and why call upon god that is a name which has no meaning for you there followed a silence i looked at catherine and saw her pale face in the light of the moon haggard in line and older than her years and my heart was full of pity for her she was excited beyond her usual self i could see that the appearance of the stranger from the yacht had aroused her interest and compelled her admiration i tried to draw her gently to a farther distance from the saloon but she would not move we ought not to listen i said catherine come away she shook her head hush she softly breathed i want to hear just then mr harland spoke again i am sorry he said i have wronged you and i apologize but you can hardly wonder at my disbelief considering your appearance which is that of a much younger man than your actual years should make you the rich voice of santoris gave answer did i not tell you and others long ago that for me there is no such thing as time but only eternity the soul is always young and i live in the spirit of youth not in the matter of age catherine turned her eyes upon me in wide open amazement he must be mad she said i made no reply either by word or look we heard mr harland talking but in a lower tone and we could not distinguish what he said presently santoris answered and his vibrant tones were clear and distinct why should it seem to you so wonderful he said you do not think it miraculous when the sculptor standing before a shapeless block of marble hews it out to conformity with his inward thought the marble is mere marble hard to deal with difficult to shape yet out of its resisting roughness the thinker and worker can mould an apollo or a psyche you find nothing marvellous in this though the result of its shaping is due to nothing but thought and labour yet when you see the human body which is far easier to shape than marble brought into submission by the same forces of thought and labour you are astonished 
surely it is a simple matter to control the living cells of one's own fleshly organization and compel them to do the bidding of the dominating spirit than to chisel the semblance of a god out of a block of stone there was a pause after this then followed more inaudible talk on the part of mr harland and while we yet waited to gather further fragments of the conversation he suddenly threw open the saloon door and called to us to come in we at once obeyed the summons and as we entered he said in a somewhat excited nervous way i must apologize before you ladies for the rather doubting manner in which i received my former college friend he is rafael santoris i ought to have known that there's only one of his type but the curious part of it is that he should be nearly as old as i am yet somehow he is not i laughed it would have been hard not to laugh for the mere idea of comparing the two men santoris in such splendid prime and morton harland in his bent lean and wizened condition as being of the same or nearly the same age was quite ludicrous even catherine smiled a weak and timorous smile i suppose you have grown old more quickly father she said perhaps mr santoris has not lived at such high pressure santoris standing by the saloon centre table under the full blaze of the electric lamp looked at her with a kindly interest high or low i live each moment of my days to the full miss harland he said i do not drowse it or kill it i live it this lady and he turned his eyes towards me looks as if she did the same she does said mr harland quickly and with emphasis that's quite true you were always a good reader of character santoris i believe i have not introduced you properly to our little friend here he presented me by name and i held out my hand santoris took it in his own with a light warm clasp gently releasing it again as he bowed i call her our little friend because she brings such an atmosphere of joy along with her wherever she goes we persuaded her to come with us yachting this summer for a very selfish reason because we are disposed to be dull and she is always bright the advantage you see is all on our side oddly enough i was talking to her about you the other night the very night by the by that your yacht came behind us off mall that was rather a curious coincidence when you come to think of it not curious at all said santoris but perfectly natural when will you realize that there is no such thing as coincidence but only a very exact system of mathematics mr harland gave a slight incredulous gesture your theories again he said you hold to them still but our little friend is likely to agree with you when i was speaking of you to her i told her she had somewhat the same ideas as yourself she is a sort of psychist whatever that may mean do you not know queried santoris with a grave smile it is easy to guess by merely looking at her my cheeks grew warm and my eyes fell beneath his steadfast gaze i wondered whether mr harland or catherine would notice that in his coat he wore a small bunch of the same kind of bright pink bell-heather which was my only jewel of adorning that night 
the ice of introductory recognition being broken we gathered round the saloon table and sat down while the steward brought wine and other refreshments to offer to our guest mr harland's former uneasiness and embarrassment seemed now at an end and he gave himself up to the pleasure of renewing association with one who had known him as a young man and they began talking easily together of their days at college of the men they had both been acquainted with some of whom were dead some settled abroad and some lost to sight in the vistas of uncertain fate catherine took very little part in the conversation but she listened intently her colourless eyes were for once bright and she watched the face of santoris as one might watch an animated picture presently dr brayle and mr swinton who had been pacing the deck together and smoking paused near the saloon door mr harland beckoned them in come in come in he said santoris this is my physician dr brayle who has undertaken to look after me during this trip santoris bowed and this is my secretary mr swinton whom i sent over to your yacht just now again santoris bowed his slight yet perfectly courteous salutation was in marked contrast with the careless modern nod or jerk of the head by which the other men barely acknowledged their introduction to him he was afraid of his life to go to you continued mr harland with a laugh he thought you might be an illusion or even the devil himself with those fiery sails mr swinton looked sheepish santoris smiled this fair dreamer of dreams here he singled me out for notice is the only one of us who has not expressed either surprise or fear at the sight of your vessel or the possible knowledge of yourself though there was one little incident connected with the pretty bunch of bell-heather she is wearing why you wear the same flower yourself there was a moment's silence everyone stared the blood burned in my veins i felt my face crimsoning yet i knew not why i should be embarrassed or at a loss for words santoris came to my relief there's nothing remarkable in that is there he queried lightly bell-heather is quite common in this part of the world i shouldn't like to try and count up the number of tourists i've lately seen wearing it ah but you don't know the interest attaching to this particular specimen persisted mr harland it was given to our little friend by a wild highland fellow presumably a native of mull the very morning after she had seen your yacht for the first time and he told her that on the previous night he had brought all of the same kind he could gather to you surely you see the connection santoris shook his head i'm afraid i don't he said smilingly did the wild highland fellow name me no i believe he called you the shuntleman that owns the yacht oh well and santoris laughed there are so many shuntlemen that own yachts he may have got mixed in his customers in any case i am glad to have some little thing in common with your friend if only a bunch of heather her bunch behaves very curiously put in catherine it never fades santoris made no comment it seemed as if he had not heard or did not wish to hear he changed the conversation 
much to my comfort, and for the rest of the time he stayed with us, rather avoided speaking to me, though once or twice I met his eyes fixed earnestly upon me. The talk drifted in a desultory manner round various ordinary topics, and I, moving a little aside, took a seat near the window where I could watch the moon rays striking a steel-like glitter on the still waters of Loch Scavig, and at the same time hear all that was being said without taking any part in it. I did not wish to speak. The uplifted joy of my soul was too intense for anything but silence. I could not tell why I was so happy. I only knew by inward instinct that some point in my life had been reached, toward which I had striven for a far longer period than I myself was aware of. There was nothing for me now but to wait with faith and patience for the next step forward, a step which I felt would not be taken alone. And I listened with interest while Mr. Harland put his former college friend through a kind of inquisitorial examination as to what he had been doing and where he had been journeying since they last met. Santoris seemed not at all unwilling to be catechized. When I escaped from Oxford, he said, but here Mr. Harland interposed. Escaped? he exclaimed. You talk as if you had been kept in prison. So I was, Santoris replied. Oxford is a prison to all who want to feed on something more than the dry bones of learning. While there, I was like the prodigal son, exiled from my father's house. And I did eat the husks that the swine did eat. Many fellows have to do the same. Sometimes, though not often, a man arrives with a constitution unsuited to husks. Mine was, and is, such an one. You secured honors with the husks, said Mr. Harland. Santoris gave a gesture of airy contempt. Honors? Such honors? Any fellow unaddicted to drinking, with a fair amount of determined plod, could win them. The alleged difficulties in the way are perfectly childish. They scarcely deserve to be called the pothooks and hangers of an education. I always got my work done in two or three hours. The rest of my time at college was pure leisure, which I employed in other and wiser forms of study than those of the general curriculum, as you know. You mean occult mysteries and things of that sort? Occult is a word of such new coinage that it is not found in many dictionaries, said Santoris, with a mirthful look. You will not find it, for instance, in the earlier editions of Stormont's reliable compendium. I do not care for it myself. I prefer to say spiritual science. You believe in that? asked Catherine abruptly. Assuredly. How can I do otherwise, seeing that it is the key to the soul of nature? That's too deep for me, said Dr. Brayle, pouring himself out a glass of whiskey and mixing it with soda water. If it's a riddle, I give up. Santoris was silent. There was a moment's pause. Then Catherine leaned forward across the table, looking at him with tired, questioning eyes. Could you not explain? she murmured. Easily, he answered. Anyone can understand it with a little attention. What I mean is this. 
you know that the human body outwardly expresses its inward condition of health mentality and spirituality well in exactly the same way nature in her countless varying presentations of beauty and wisdom expresses the soul of herself or the spiritual force which supports her existence spiritual science is the knowledge not of the outward effect so much as of the inward cause which makes the effect manifest it is a knowledge which can be applied to the individual daily uses of life the more it is studied the more reward it bestows and the smallest portion of it thoroughly mastered is bound to lead to some discovery simple or complex which lifts the immortal part of a man a step higher on the way it should go you are satisfied with your researches then asked mr harland santoris smiled gravely do i look like a man that has failed he answered mr harland studied his handsome face and figure with ill-concealed envy you went abroad from oxford he queried yes i went back to the old home in egypt the house where i was born and bred it had been well kept and cared for by the faithful servant to whom my father had entrusted it as well kept as a royal chamber in the pyramids with the funeral offerings untouched and a perpetual lamp burning it was the best of all possible places in which to continue my particular line of work without interruption and i have stayed there most of the time only coming away as now when necessary for a change and a look at the world as the world lives in these days and here mr harland hesitated then went on are you married santoris lifted his eyes and regarded his former college acquaintance fixedly that question is unnecessary he said you know i am not there was a brief awkward pause dr brayle looked up with a satirical smile spiritual science has probably taught you to beware of the fair sex he said i do not entirely understand you answered santoris coldly but if you mean that i am not a lover of women in the plural you are right perhaps of the one woman the one rare pearl in the deep sea hinted dr brayle unabashed come you are getting too personal brayle interrupted mr harland quickly and with asperity santoris your health he raised a glass of wine to his lips santoris did the same and this simple courtesy between the two principals in the conversation had the effect of putting their subordinate in his proper place it seems superfluous to wish health to mr santoris said catherine then he evidently has it in perfection santoris looked at her with kindly interest health is a law miss harland he said it is our own fault if we trespass against it ah you say that because you are well and strong she answered in a plaintive tone but if you were afflicted and suffering you would take a different view of illness he smiled somewhat compassionately i think not he said if i were afflicted and suffering as you say i should know that by my own neglect thoughtlessness carelessness or selfishness i had injured my organization mentally and physically and that 
therefore the penalty demanded was just and reasonable surely you do not maintain that a man is responsible for his own ailments said mr harland that would be too far-fetched even for you why as a matter of fact a wretched human being is not only cursed with his own poisoned blood but with the poisoned blood of his forefathers and according to the latest medical science the very air and water swarm with germs of death for the unsuspecting victim or germs of life said santoris quietly according to my knowledge or theory as you prefer to call it there are no germs of actual death there are germs which disintegrate effete forms of matter merely to allow the forces of life to rebuild them again and these may propagate in the human system if it so happens that the human system is prepared to receive them their devastating process is called disease but they never begin their work till the being they attack has either wasted a vital opportunity or neglected a vital necessity far more numerous are the beneficial germs of revivifying and creative power and if these find place they are bound to conquer those whose agency is destructive it all depends on the soil and pasture you offer them evil thoughts make evil blood and in evil blood disease germinates and flourishes pure thoughts make pure blood and rebuild the cells of health and vitality i grant you there is such a thing as inherited disease but this could be prevented in a great measure by making the marriage of diseased persons a criminal offence while much of it could be driven out by proper care in childhood unfortunately the proper care is seldom given what would you call proper care asked catherine entire absence of self-indulgence to begin with he answered no child should be permitted to have its own way or expect to have it the first great lesson of life should be renunciation of self a faint colour crept into catherine's faded cheeks mr harland fidgeted in his chair unless a man looks after himself no one else will look after him he said reasonable care of oneself is unselfishness replied santoris but anything in excess of reasonable care is pure vice a man should work for his livelihood chiefly in order not to become a burden on others in the same way he should take care of his health so that he may avoid being a troublesome invalid dependent on others compassion to be ill is to acknowledge neglect of existing laws and incapacity of resistance to evil you lay down a very hard and fast rule mr santoris said dr braille many unfortunate people are ill through no fault of their own pardon me for my dogmatism when i say such a thing is impossible answered santoris if a human being starts his life in health he cannot be ill unless through some fault of his own it may be a moral or a physical fault but the trespass against the law has been made and suppose him to be born with some inherited trouble he can eliminate even that from his blood if he so determines man was not meant to be sickly but strong he is not intended to dwell on this earth as a servant but as a master and all the elements of strength and individual sovereignty are contained in nature for his use and advantage if he will but accept them as frankly as they are offered ungrudgingly 
I cannot grant you. And he smiled. Even the smallest amount of voluntary or intended mischief in the divine plan. At that moment, Captain Derrick looked in at the saloon door to remind us that the boat was still waiting to take our visitor back to his own yacht. He rose at once with a brief courteous apology for having stayed so long, and we all went with him to see him off. It was arranged that we were to join him on board his vessel next day, and either take a sail with him along the island coast, or else do the excursion on foot to Loch Korisk, which was a point not to be missed. As we walked all together along the moonlit deck, a chance moment placed him by my side while the others were moving on ahead. I felt rather than saw his eyes upon me, and looked up swiftly in obedience to his compelling glance. There was a light of eloquent meaning in the expression of his face, but he spoke in perfectly conventional tones. I am glad to have met you at last, he said quietly. I have known you by name, and in the spirit, a long time. I did not answer. My heart was beating rapidly with an excitation of nameless joy and fear commingled. Tomorrow, he went on, we shall be able to talk together, I hope. I feel that there are many things in which we are mutually interested. Still, I could not speak. Sometimes it happens, he continued, in a voice that trembled a little, that two people who are not immediately conscious of having met before feel on first introduction to each other as if they were quite old friends. Is it not so? I murmured a scarcely audible assent. He bent his head and looked at me searchingly. A smile was on his lips, and his eyes were full of tenderness. Till tomorrow is not so long to wait, he said. Not long, after so many years. Good night. A sense of calm and sweet assurance swept over me. Good night, I answered, with a smile of happy response to his own. Till tomorrow. We were close to the gangway where the others already stood. In another couple of minutes, he had made his adieu to our whole party and was on his way back to his own vessel. The boat in which he sat, rowed strongly by our men, soon disappeared like a black blot on the general darkness of the water. Yet we remained for some time watching, as though we could see it even when it was no longer visible. A strange fellow, said Dr. Braille, when we moved away at last, flinging the end of his cigar over the yacht side. Something of madness and genius combined. Mr. Harland turned quickly upon him. You mistake, he answered. There's no madness, though there is certainly genius. He's of the same mind as he was when I knew him at college. There never was a saner or more brilliant scholar. It's curious you should meet him again like this, said Catherine. But surely, father, he's not as old as you are. He's about three and a half years younger, that's all. Dr. Braille laughed. I don't believe it for a moment, he said. I think he's playing a part. He's probably not the man you knew at Oxford at all. We were then going to our cabins for the night, and Mr. Harland paused as these words were said and faced us. He is the man, he said emphatically. I had my doubts of him at first, but I was wrong. As for playing a part, that would be impossible to him. 
he is absolutely truthful, almost to the verge of cruelty. A curious expression came into his eyes, as of hidden fear. In one way I am glad to have met him again, in another I am sorry, for he is a disturber of the comfortable peace of conventions. You! Here he regarded me suddenly, as if he had almost forgotten my presence. Will like him. You have many ideas in common, and will be sure to get on well together. As for me, I am his direct opposite. The two poles are not wider apart than we are in our feelings, sentiments, and beliefs. He paused, seeming to be troubled by the passing cloud of some painful thought. Then he went on. There is one thing I should perhaps explain, especially to you, Braille, to save useless argument. It is, of course, a craze, but craze or not, he is absolutely immovable on one point which he calls the great fact of life, that there is and can be no death, that life is eternal and therefore in all its forms indestructible. Does he consider himself immune from the common lot of mortals? asked Dr. Braille with a touch of derision. He denies the common lot altogether, replied Mr. Harland. For him, each individual life is a perpetual succession of progressive changes, and he holds that a change is never and can never be made till the person concerned has prepared the next costume or mortal presentment of a mortal being, according to voluntary choice and liking. Then he is mad! exclaimed Catherine. He must be mad. I smiled. Then I am mad too, I said, for I believe as he does. May I say good night? And with that I left them, glad to be alone with myself and my heart's secret rapture. End of chapter 6